Welcome to a King Size Life podcast with Shannon King. Our goal is to encourage and inspire you to get off the sidelines and live this one life He has given us in the biggest way possible. Life is guaranteed to throw us all obstacles and opportunities. Do you choose to be a spectator of life or seize the opportunities given, create your own path, and become everything you're designed to be? Your road to discovery starts now. Here's your host, Shannon King. Okay, Sadie, here we are. I told you I wanted you to be a guest on here and the timing is pretty impeccable. Not only that the timing worked out for you to be a guest on my podcast, so welcome to A King Size Life, but also you are now a published author. Wow. Thank you, Shannon. <laughs> I know. How amazing <laughs> is that? I, 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 it's still unreal. Like when people say like, you know, you have a book on Amazon. I'm like, oh, I do. I'm like, I really do. Yes. Wow. It is incredible. It is. Um, I, I will say that I never in a million years thought that I would write a book and it wasn't even really on my radar until a few years ago. And then I just felt like I was here and made for more than what I had been doing. And I realized that just by sharing a story or two, it's pretty crazy how many lives that you can change that you don't even realize that you're doing. So, Oh my gosh, I know people are watching, you know, you don't are. realize, I think we get caught up in the people that we think are watching because they want us to fail. But there are so many people that are watching, hoping, praying that somebody is going to be able to speak to their soul and help them make a difference. And so what is the name of your book? It is called anything is possible. And, uh, it's funny because when I was trying to figure out a title, I was like, I have no idea. And my husband, Brent, he's like, well, I'm not good. You know, I, I, I don't know. He's like, I don't know if I feel that. I was like, that was the first thing that came to my mind and everything that I do, it's anything's possible. It's something I've told myself throughout my whole life. So I was like, you know what? I'm running with it. I'm running mm -hmm. with it. It's perfect. It's, it's so fitting. I, whenever I was talking with my friend Susie and I was trying to think of a name of my, for my podcast, she said, have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it specifically? What should the name of my podcast be? And I said, no, I haven't specifically prayed for that. I've prayed a lot for like, what is my purpose and what should it be about? And so I stopped right then with her on the phone and I prayed specifically and a king size life. It just, came to me. I mean, it's a God thing. There's, I don't believe in coincidences and it was, it's absolutely fitting. And I'm asking the name of your book. I know the name of your book, but I'm asking the name of your book for the person that's listening to it. That's going, okay, how do I go order this book? Because they're going right. to want to definitely after listening to you, but I had the um, honor to be able to read it before it was published. And I'll just, just to talk about your book a little bit more before we, we get into you and what we really want to talk about for the podcast, but reading that, what I will tell you that's listening to this and you're going, I need a kick in the pants. I need, I need something simple to read. I need something that I can relate to. I need something that's going to give me some steps that I can follow to pick myself up and do something with my life. That's what this book is. So anything is possible by Sadie Colvis. Go and find it on Amazon. I believe you did an audio too, didn't you? 
I'm going to. Okay. That's in the works. So that will be fun to listen to you doing that. But knowing you, I was able to hear your voice whenever I was reading it. So that was fun, but it's an excellent book. I've read so many books. I'm surrounded by books right now and I've read a million and not quite a million, but I've read a lot. And I, you know, I even wrote a review on it. And what, what I loved about it, Sadie, is you're real, you're not condescending and how you're telling people that they can do it. It's very encouraging and applicable. So real life things that you can do and not so step one, start getting up earlier. Well, I mean, that's kind of obvious to create more time in your life. And that, that's what a lot of books tell you, but you were very vulnerable sharing your life and sharing the difficulties. And I know that that was probably hard for you. Um, but I appreciate that you did that because it made a very relatable book and a swift kick in the pants. So I encourage everybody to go and order that, read it. And you also have a podcast coming up, which will be called what? It's anything is possible by Sadie Colvis. I kind of did the whole theme um, <laughs> <laughs> because honestly, that's how I feel about what I can share with other people. And I can, and just like you said, with my book, I've gone through a lot of situations in my life to where I've had to overcome. So um, I'm, I don't just talk about it. Like I, I went through the motions. I've, I've lived it. I've gone through it. So I feel very confident when I tell people that anything is possible. You can do this and you can just believe in yourself. And when will your first episode publish so people can go and find that? We're looking at Halloween. October 31st is what oh, I know. And, and we'll have like <laughs> three bam, bam, bam all in a row. So it's, I'm really excited about it. It's one of those things that I didn't plan on either. But once I did the book, I was like, okay, now what? Like, how else can I, what's another way that I can help other people that may not want to read a book um, and they like to listen? So that's why I decided a podcast would probably be perfect. Oh yeah, I think it's perfect. I'm, I'm just doing the opposite. I started my podcast to get, start getting my story out there, kind of figure out, it's, it's very therapeutic, like e even figuring out what my direction is going to be. And then I want to write a book. So I'm, I'm working my way that direction. So let's talk about Sadie Colvis and how you got to this point. We're going to go back a little bit and talk about you and how you became to be who you are and up until the point of writing a book and launching your podcast and how we're here today. And I like to talk about people's first memory as a child. I think it's very interesting. So if you can share with the people listening, your earliest childhood memory, how old you were, like describe it for us. So um, I've, I've thought about this. I, I mean, I have a few memories that I can, that kind of pop up, but the earliest, I believe I was a toddler so I was probably two or three. And back in the 80s, uh, we had those rubber, um, you know, those chairs that think, 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 like that you lay out on the, at the pool. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Just to give you like an, an image of what that looks like. Well, we had a couple in our living room <laughs> and uh, I was napping on it. And I had like, and I have long, dark hair and I had curly, wavy, short hair. So I had to have been like two or three. Um, and I just remember like walking around and I have an identical twin sister. So her is just like her and I were just best friends. And that's, I just got up like wobbling around. I don't know if I just woke up from a nap or, or what happened, but that stupid chair, like who has that in their living room? I don't know. <laughs> I'm but, so glad you described that. I remember those chairs cause we had like blue and white or pink and white and they would leave marks and make you sweat. And <laughs> And all I hear is the noise, you know, when you're trying to get yes. it to stay up. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. 
<laughs> oh, I love that. It's interesting. So I, whenever I shared my first memory in the podcast, I said, I described mine and my diaper was being changed. And I said, so you can understand how small I was. And I thought, well, maybe I should probably define that a little bit more because people are like, I don't know. I mean, you could have been three in a diaper, but I was I, an infant. <laughs> like I was little, I, re, I, w- I know I was little, but so when, when do you remember you're so competitive? So oh. <laughs> you're very competitive. Like I am. Can you describe the time or think about a time that you really realized how competitive you were? Yeah. Um, sports. <laughs> so, um, it was probably softball, you know, I want to win. And if I make an error, like I'm also very honest, if I mess something up, man, I messed up, darn it. And you'll see it in my face. Like I can't hide it. Like I'm mad. I'm so mad, um, at myself. Like I, I could have done better or, but yeah, softball, I would say, uh, grade school. Absolutely. So was it a, like a first game, a practice? When did it you learn your at, love for um, softball or sports? What happened? It was probably, um, practice, like just at soft. My dad was the coach. He was so hard on me and my sister and she was a pitcher and I was shortstop. And I had, I mean, I'm not going to brag about myself, but I had a rocket of an arm. Like I just, and I still do. And I'll compete with my daughter. I'm like, what? Like, I've got you like, nope. Um, (laughs) But um, I was so little, you know, I'm very small. I'm five foot tall and half of an inch on my best day. So, you know, maybe I have the small person syndrome and I was lead off batter. And most, most people that are small, they don't have a lot of power behind them. Well, I do. And I will, I knock that ball out in the outfield and that coach, that other coach says something. I'm like, yeah, I did. Like, yeah, like just little things like that. And I just got so competitive and I want to win and I want to be the best. And maybe that's, you talk about like daddy issues or whatever. There could be all kinds of reasons that I'm like that. What do you, what do you think that might be? You know, I do want to please people. I've noticed that as now as a kid, I wouldn't admit to that, but as an adult, you know, I'm now 40 years old. So I'm very honest and I really sit back and think about why I feel the way, the way that I do. And, um, I think that I want to please people. I think that I want, I don't want to ever let anybody down. I I want people to be proud of me. I want to be cheered on. So I, I do think, you know, my mom left when I was little and I feel like I wanted attention. Like my dad was sick and we didn't get a lot of attention. It was just as kids. So I felt like I had to shine, you know, just shine to get that attention. That's probably where a lot of that comes from. And you talk about a lot of the difficult times in your book, which I mentioned earlier that you share and many moments of vulnerability, but for the sake of the podcast, let's talk about one of the most difficult times in your childhood. Can you share one of those whenever you felt like maybe you felt like you weren't loved or worthy? One of the most difficult times as a child would probably be when my mom left. I remember this like it was yesterday but I didn't understand the seriousness of it, but I knew it was serious. I was seven and uh, my mom had left my dad and she she left him with all four kids. Um, His kidneys were failing. So we have, it's called Alport syndrome. It's a hereditary kidney disease. He was 32, 32, um, 33 maybe. He sat me and my twin sister on his knees and said, I have 20% kidney function left that he's gonna have to start dialyzing. And that was probably one of the hardest moments as a child because he was broken. And I saw the pain. It was hard. And we, and I was a mama's girl. So when she left, it was just probably the worst time of my life. We were just a broken family. And why so did she leave? Was, what, what 
Did you get an answer from her as far as why she left or? Oh gosh, I wish I had an answer. I guess, you know, she had four kids by 20. She didn't get to live her life. She wanted to live her life and um, she didn't want to be held down with kids. There was even an instance to where she had a boyfriend and she said, if he calls, you know, you guys are my nieces. So we had to say that we were her nieces. And, and it's funny because it's not actually funny. It's, it's actually really sad, but you know, growing up, I didn't know that wasn't normal. As crazy as that sounds, when you're living it, you don't know that people don't live like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't realize that there's better ways to live a life and that there's really good parents out there and you, you just don't know because you're living in it and you're like, oh, ha ha, you know, I've got to be my mom's niece. You know, it's just the weirdest thing. It is, um, it is weird how we rationalize that in our, well, we don't even, I, we're not even conscious of it to try to rationalize it. it. It just is our life. I, you know, my mom left whenever I was really small. My, my dad's parents are who raised me from really the time that I can remember as far back as I can remember. I remember being with my, with my grandma, Helen and Papa Ben, and then until I was six years old and then kind of going back and forth and, and then primarily being with my dad. But I don't remember young thinking, why aren't my parents together? Or what is the real story? I mean, you don't really think about any of those things, but I just, do you ever talk to her? Have you ever had any kind of reconciliation or any? So there's four of us around, I guess I was around 11. My older sister actually went to go stay with my mom, but they were technically Parker boyfriend's sisters. (laughs) So um, she had stayed with my mom, basically raising herself. And then me and my twin and my brother were with my dad. So we you actually, we actually went years without hearing from her years. And she would say that she was going to come get us on the weekends. And me and my twin sister would get so excited and we'd go to the back door and look for a blinker. You know, she's supposed to come and all day. And then it would finally dark would come and we'd run to the front door, you know, looking, we'd see a blinker and run to the front to see if she was turning into the subdivision. And my dad was just so heartbroken and sad for us because he knew she wasn't coming. I would say around the age of 14, my twin sister got pregnant. My mom was pregnant with uh, my half sister. Yeah. Crazy. I know. So that they kind of, um, I would call it reconciled, but she was in my life a little more um, just because of that. And then um, not really until I lost my dad, did she come back and then she's gone again. I haven't heard from my mom since my daughter was in second grade and she's now a freshman. Wow. Well, I hope that you either come to terms with on your own with that or that you get some time type of closure at some point. I, I was fortunate enough to, at least I'm in contact with my, with my mom and we've had some good moments and just an opportunity for her to share more of her side of the story. I think, I don't know, I can't, I cannot fathom leaving my children and not killing everyone to get to them, (laughs) you know? And so it's like, it's foreign, it's foreign to me, but everybody has their story. And so it's, you know, I think that my mom just did the best that she could and, and tried and thought that she tried as hard as she could. So there's probably a whole lot more to that story, but just to tell you, if I had to be honest, I would think that she, she probably, um, closes that part off. You know what you mean? You know what I mean? Like you have to have it like a mental block to like close. Oh, it's a coping mechanism. I have it too, because I've had to mourn my dad that's still alive. So, you know, um, you've actually lost your father, but I have, I've had to emotionally mourn him as if he's gone. And it's that's kind of how I am with her, which, yeah. That's, and, and, you know, you got to remember, and, and 
honestly, with my book and with anybody that, because I'm not alone. I know there's people listening to this that are that have are dealing with this or have, but you have to accept the fact that people are who they are, and um, it's okay. She's probably better off not in my life, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it's just better off that way. It's right. not necessarily a bad thing. You have to try to find that that positive in it, as hard as that can be. Right. So how do you do that, Sadie? You have you've lost your dad. I'm, accept- I'm accepting the fact that she, honestly, not everybody are not everybody is a good person. And even when I did talk to her a little bit more, she's not a mother that I would want. I, I mean that with all the niceness. I, I don't know how to else to say it, but you know how, like with my daughter, I, I want to do mother-daughter days. We go get pedicures. We have so much fun. She's not that person. Like she's not, and she never would be. Right. And, and that's okay. You have to, I've just accepted that fact. I truly have from the bottom of my heart. You mentioned your dad had a kidney disease, and I know that I know that you have that disease as well. Can you share a little bit about that story and that i I mean I consider that adversity that some people would allow them to stop in their tracks i mean you're so your mom left when you were little, there were four kids, your dad's on dialysis, you're having to basically raise yourself i mean you, you guys were fending for yourselves, and then at what age did you find out that you had the same so um I and fend for ourselves. Yes, there. <laughs> I'll get to that. But um, we found out in kindergarten. So when we went to go, when you go get your physical, um, you know that you have output, you have blood in your urine. So it's kind of like you would have a urinary tract infection. But I have it all the time. So that was the first sign that I had Alport syndrome. My dad, I guess second. So I knew I had it, and then. My dad started struggling with high blood pressure when we were in second grade. Then my mom left. We were on food stamps. My dad couldn't work. So we were on food stamps, which was so embarrassing. Like I, we were so proud, you know, like even my dad, like we were so proud, like we would hide it. Like it was so embarrassing that we lived like that. And then um, there, my dad got a kidney transplant actually in 88, in 1988, I was eight years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he got a kidney transplant. Well, when he was recouping from the transplant, my mom, quote, was supposed to be caring for four of us kids at the house. She wasn't there. The whole summer we lived by ourselves. I had a green scalp by the time my aunt got a hold of us to wash her hair. Um, I don't even know if I bathed. Like it's it's embarrassing. And how old were you? Eight. Wow. So it's it's embarrassing to talk about, but we didn't have food. Like we went to our neighbors and would eat instant mashed potatoes and macaroni and cheese. It was just one of our friends. She was a couple years older than me. And she, I really look at her as like a saving grace. Like as silly as that sounds, like I loved instant mashed potatoes and macaroni and cheese because we didn't have food. But one time my mom showed up at two o'clock in the morning. We had um, no AC and there were holes in the screens. So flies were in the house. It was summer. She came at two o'clock in the morning. I don't know if she was on something, woke us all up yelling at us because there's flies in the house. And here we are, children, like babies. It, it was crazy to me. So that was probably a crazy time of my childhood. And it's weird because I look back and it's like not it doesn't phase me, which I think that probably would most people, but it's just like, okay, that was just a bad summer. (laughs) You know, it was just a really bad summer, but my dad came home to finish healing once he realized nobody was there to care for us. And, um, his, he got CMV virus and it knocked out his kidney. So, and then he got hepatitis C through a blood transfusion and then he could never get back on the transplant list. So that's what happened. Wow. I, uh, you know, I told you after I read your book that one, I just wanted to go into that book and find you as a little girl and just hold you, uh, and curl your hair 
and just do all of those things. That's what you. I wanted. No, I that's what I wanted as a little girl. Just somebody to put my hair in pigtails and send me off to school. You know? uh, yes. I wanted to be one of those girls, like the right. girls that, you know, I was a cheerleader and my hair was a mess. And these girls came with these pretty French braids and these cute little ponytails. And they had like these name brand shoes. And I was just so jealous if I have to be honest. Yeah. And then jealousy look at your, and, your, and hate and <laughs> and look at the life that you have now. So we're going to kind of, we're going to work our way there because we, you know, the name of your book is anything is possible. And I think it's the theme of the podcast too. And so I, it is important for you out there listening to understand who my friend Sadie is and some of the things that she's experienced. When we say that she's gone through adversity, we don't mean that, um, you know, she didn't have a designer purse whenever she was in whenever she was a teenager and she didn't get a new car when she was 16. I mean, we mean she's dealt with a lot of things. And so she's one of my favorite people and we were able to meet in a business opportunity. And I was like, who's this Sadie chick you keep talking about Aaron. And I think, <laughs> I think Sadie might've felt the same thing about me, but I do want to talk about because of your, I don't know if it led to that. And I know you went through some difficult times like I did with, with drugs and we both tried to be bad. Right. Yeah. Oh, real bad. <laughs> so you Jail. can, read I mean, we could go on and on. You can we read could about, be here all day. So. Yeah. You can read more about that in Sadie's book. She does, she does share some of those experiences I and I like you try to be bad, but you are a trainer. You're in incredible I, physical shape. You take your workouts and your, your physical health very seriously. So wh when did you find your love for really taking care of yourself and and I would I talk a little bit about your no excuses attitude, like just people need to quit making so many excuses. Absolutely. So, um, and this kind of goes back. So I, my dad died December 22nd of 2008 and I went kind of like backwards and um, put on 25 pounds. You know, it's, it's like you're depressed, but you don't realize you're depressed until you're undepressed. Um, and you look in the mirror and you're like, who is this person? You know, and that's what happened. And I was like, oh no, this isn't me. This is not how I want to live. And I cleared out everything in my house. So I would say 09, the end of 09, beginning of 2010, I cleaned out everything in my, um, my kitchen, all processed foods. And I made a decision and I, and I was working out still at that time, but not really. And, you know, I was 29 getting ready to turn 30. My metabolism crashed well to me. I was like, oh my God, you mean I can't eat pizza and ding dongs and, and still <laughs> wear a size two? Like that's, that, that's, doesn't work anymore. Okay. And that's what happened because I was used to eating whatever I wanted and still being in good shape. And that was not the case anymore. I tossed everything out. I started eating healthy. I did a lot of research, hit the gym hard. And I'm telling you, it took at least, at least three months to see a change. But once I saw that change, it was like, it happened overnight. Like all of a sudden my pants were too big and I was like, oh my gosh. And then I didn't want to put bad stuff in my body. Like I didn't want to fuel my body with poison is how I looked at it. Like I got teased. My siblings would make fun of me. They're like, you can eat the cheeseburger. Like just, you know, people that are overweight get made fun of. People that watch what they eat get made fun of. You know, I'm the type of person that I just feel like, you know, if you want to eat, eat bad, that's your choice. But I want to fuel my body with, with good energy and good fuel. And don't get me wrong, I'm human. I like pizza on Friday nights like anybody else. But I also want to just really focus on fueling my body with the best nutrients possible. Um, and I was a smoker. I smoked for more of my life than I did. And I ran a marathon being a smoker. And That's I so quit crazy. smoking. <laughs> it is crazy. And I, um, when I went to go compete in my first bodybuilding competition in 2017, 2017, 
I quit smoking and I loved smoking. <laughs> and here I am, I, I gave it up and that was the only thing that had me. You know, it controlled everything I did and I was tired of it. I was tired of allowing something to control my outcome. And I wanna live longer. I, I wanna be here for my daughter. And I think it's important that you, you make time for yourself. You make yourself a priority for a certain amount of time throughout the day. I don't care if you're a mom, a busy mom, a wife, whatever it is, you matter and you can't be your best self if you're not taking care of yourself. For you guys listening, that is so important that you do that for yourself. And how did your, whenever you made that mindset shift and started to see those changes in your body, how did the rest, did the rest of your life start to fall in line? Did other goals in life start to happen because you got disciplined and focused? My whole mindset shifted. My mindset shifted. I changed how I felt about other people. I changed how I reacted to situations, the way that I felt about my job and how I was being treated. Cause I, I raised my standard. I raised what I was willing to tolerate from other people towards myself. I felt like I deserved better. And then I met my husband. I met my husband at the gym. He's my best friend. He's like-minded. And I, I tell people this all the time. If you're going through a, a divorce or a separation and you're wondering if you're going to meet this right person, go out and do things that you love and enjoy that are making your life better. And you're going to meet that person while doing what you love because, and guess what? They have the same stuff in common because you're meeting them doing what you enjoy. Mm -hmm. Like it's brilliant. I'm like... <laughs> It's like, it was almost like a light bulb clicked for myself when it happened for me. I was like, well, gosh, yeah, he's just like me because I met him doing what I, I love and I'm passionate about. You guys are a super cute couple. Uh, I mean, you really are. You just feed off of each other and talk a little bit about some of the goals that you have achieved and maybe not even specifically, but we think about, we've talked about Sadie as a little girl, the living conditions, the challenges Again, go read her book. She gives a, a lot more to the story. Did you ever think that you would be living how you're living now and the life that you're living now? Uh, this is where I, I'm going to try not to get emotional, but, and it's, it's one of those situations again, that you want to pinch yourself because when you do it, it doesn't really feel real. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, I really did do that. But when I sit back and look at what it's done for my family and my life, that's when it really hits home. You know, I was a single mom for a few years lived in this little asbestos filled house. And it was that actually the happiest I ever felt is when I left a bad marriage and I was in this little house and I was making like 30,000 a year, had some really cruddy bosses. I worked at a cancer treatment center for 10 years, making like 33,000, I guess. And I, and I was content with that, but I was missing out on my daughter's life. I wanted to be that mom that, that was reading a book in the library to her class. I wanted to be able to attend all those things. I wanted to be present. I was sick of running in, in my pencil skirt and my heels to the soccer field, you know, 30 minutes late for her game, you know, those situations. So I decided to change my life and I started running my own business. I also got certified as a personal trainer. Um, you know, I make well over, well over six figures in a year. Um, I'm able to give back more than I ever thought. I was actually just telling Aaron this morning that it's really nice to, to be able to donate to my friend's a foundation that her father's dying from cancer. Like I don't even have to bat an eye. Like I can give back in those instances that normally that would have taken grocery money, you know? Yes. So it's just a good feeling to be able to do that. And my whole family, like my daughter plays club ball. I wouldn't, she wouldn't be doing that. Um, I was able to send her to a better school, the, the whole debt free, you know, I mean, there's nothing more freeing than, than not owing people money. 
you're able to live a life on purpose. Like that's the best way I can put it is I'm able to live a life on purpose in my, on my terms, which, you know, when I, when I worked in corporate America, they owned my time. I remember sitting playing bubble ball because <laughs> I worked really fast. Like I've got great work <laughs> ethic. So I would like <laughs> run circles around people and I would play bubble ball. And I'm like, I could be at home, you know, cutting my grass or planting flowers or being more productive. And I just felt like I wanted to own my own time. It's, it's changed my whole life. Um, I've been able to write the book. So yeah, I mean, oh, my life's, it's, it's not even the same. It's, it's, it's like somebody else's life, but I'm living it. And did you really, really as a child feel like that was it? Or did you always have that feeling in your soul, like that there is more for, for Sadie and more for me in this life? That's a really good question. Because if I had to go back to my, my younger self, if I thought about what was in my mind, I felt like I wasn't good enough. I felt like I was never going to have that pretty house. I was never going to leave that town. I, I felt like nobody liked me. Um, I felt like I was the poor kid um, being judged and I was a little rebellious. So no, I felt held back. But as I grew, and actually when I met my first um, husband, his mom was the first glimpse of what a family can be like. And right then and there, I was like, I can be more. I don't have to have, I don't have to be like that. I can be more. And that was like that moment of change for me and growth. And I knew I, heck yeah. I knew after that moment, I knew that I was made for more. Like, I'm not going to make $30,000 a year for the rest of my life. Like get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, if you could go back and tell your 13 year old self something, what, what would that be? Um, one, one thing is <clears throat> time heals. I feel like when you're younger, everything's the end of the world you know, everything's the worst thing possible that could happen. Every day you wake up, it gets a little easier. Time truly does heal. Don't take things so seriously. I feel like just again, everything's the end of the world. Go with your gut, go with your gut. Um, and I've, I've always been pretty good about that. Big things and always believe in yourself. So if you have a dream, tell myself a dream is just, I mean, it's a goal that you just haven't achieved yet. That's all. Just believe in yourself always. Wouldn't that be amazing if you could just go and grab yourself and say, look at me in the eyes and listen, just listen to me. Um, but you know what? It makes us better parents. Yes. Like I feel like I can, of course they need to make their own mistakes, but I feel like I'm able to really look at her and be like, listen, like, and I'm a different parent. Like, I don't ever remember you got this Sadie, like you can do this. You're, you're amazing. You can be anything you want to be. And even in school, you know, they, they tell you, you have to go get a degree and you got to do this. Like you're never going to amount to nothing if you, you know, and it's just not true. Like you can be anything you want to be. And I think we need to go back to that mm -hmm. um, and encourage our children when they're, when they're doing things that are a little different yeah. and they're not necessarily the cookie cutter idea, cheer mm -hmm. them on. Right. You know what? Go, go do big things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, you know, I was fortunate that I did have people, you know, my dad would even tell me you can do anything you want, uh, but there were limitations on that. There within a box, you can do anything you want. You can accomplish anything you want, as long as it's kind of on our agenda, on our, on what we envision for your life. And one, I don't know where I read it. I, like I said, I read a lot. I listen to a lot of podcasts and it was it was a big moment for me to hear that our children, their lives is their purpose is not our purpose for them. It's they just like we have our own purpose and our own God has his plan for me. He has a plan for Kaiser, Eris, 
and Maximus, you know, he has a plan for them and it's not necessarily mine. And so I have tried to think about that too, you know, like I'm not a skateboarder. Maximus is a skater and loves it. And I encourage him and he lights up. And when they find something that they love, they flourish. And there are, you know, there are things that we encourage them to do when we see a particular gift in them. Of course, we're going to try it. We're here to guide them. But whenever your child finds something that they truly love, how could you not encourage that? It baffles me whenever people want to just squash that out of people. And I see you encouraging your daughter every day. Just, it's got to be amazing not having a mom. Cause I know like my stepmom was there, but she was never affectionate. I always wanted somebody to, I learned how to do my hair very young <laughs> because she never really would do my hair. And I wanted to just stare at her in the, in the mirror whenever she was doing her makeup and I wanted oh. to hug and she just wasn't affectionate. And so I'm over, I smother my kids. They call me smother. <laughs> like, I'm going to hug you and kiss you until so you do that. Like, she'll be like, not like, I'm like, just let me hold you. I know you're almost 15, but I want to hold you. I know. I, yeah, my kids know I'm, I'm getting the hugs. Tell everybody about your, I know you struggled with this when I asked you this question, but what is your proudest moment? I had to think about this because at first I was like, Oh, my daughter, you know, the day I gave birth to my daughter, I was like, you know what? I, I wanted to choose that because I felt like it should be my proudest moment. People would look at me bad if I didn't choose that as my prou- proudest moment. But honestly, my proudest moment was, I, I just mentioned that little house filled with asbestos and all the things. And I had a very bad marriage. There were a lot of affairs. Um, he filed bankruptcy. I lost my house to foreclosure, lost my car, um, lost my dad six months later. But I moved into that little house, just had Savannah's bed in the room, no lighting on the ceilings, laid in that bed with her. And I felt so free. And I would have to say that's my proudest moment that I, and I remember my dad saying, I'm proud of you, Sadie. I'm, I'm proud that you tried to make that marriage work and you did everything in your power. And when I, I was proud, I was proud of myself for taking control of my, my life and my future because that's what I did. Because I had been married, you know, since I was 20 years old and I was 28, you know, he was all I knew my whole, you know, that whole decade. So it was a big step for me. And I had a two-year-old daughter. So that's my proudest moment. Did your dad tell you he was proud of you often? No. My dad loved me mm-hmm. very much, and but no, he he never did. Um, not very often. I mean, I I'd like to say that I knew he was. It's just one of those situations because I felt like my dad was just trying to get through the days a lot of times. But yeah, he he told me he was really proud of me, and he loved his grandkids. Like he changed once we had we had grandchildren. No, he always thought that I out of all the kids, he thought that I had it together. You know, I never asked for money. I never needed anything, and he just thought that I I had it together. So at this moment, he knew. And he watched me try to fix my marriage. He watched and. But hearing so, it is powerful. Oh, it, it meant a lot to me because I was like, wow, I'm, I'm so, it was nice to know that somebody saw my struggle and my pain. So here, here's a question. You and I both really like to win, but if you had to choose between winning and feeling appreciated, which do you prefer? Oh, Shannon, that's really hard. I would say I want to feel appreciated. I think that in the grand scheme of things, that's more important. I I do want to win, but I'd much rather feel appreciated. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. That was, I don't even know where that question was posed, but it made me stop and think about it because I talk about how much I love to win. But if it's, if the winning is void of feeling valued and appreciated, then I don't want it. So if people think that they're going to keep me around just because I'm succeeding 
um, but they don't ever show me that, that I'm valued or appreciated, then I'll leave, you know, I'll be going to succeed anywhere. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like I can go succeed anywhere. You better appreciate me. <laughs> Uh, and that's why I love you. I mean, I feel we have a great friendship. It started out a very competitive one, but oh, uh, just a little shaman. But instead of you know fighting against each other, I mean, I I think that it's just very much who you are that we we became friends and we support each other and encourage each other. And I feel appreciated in our relationship. And I, you know, for whoever is listening, you out there. That's so important when you hear Sadie talking about her story and as you listen to mine and others that are amazing people in my life that I interview, you will hear there's a common denominator in there. We go out and we start surrounding ourselves with whether it be a spouse or friends or whomever it is that we choose. It's people that are building us up, that help us to feel valued, that accept us for who we are. And that brings the best out in and me, and I know, I know whenever you feel that way, Sadie, it truly brings out the best in you. Do you have any regrets? No, I don't. No, absolutely not. I was, I was going to say yes for a minute, but I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Like I, I wouldn't have probably, I would have missed out on something that made me a little bit more of who I am if I would have not done it, even if it wasn't the smartest decision on the planet. Um, so no, I don't, I don't have any regrets. I've made it, you know, I'm, I'm alive. <laughs> I survived the, the ride and it got me here. So no regrets. And nobody got hurt along the way. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody survived. Yeah, we all lived. We all made it. <laughs> to the person that's listening to you right now, if you were to give them a piece of advice, if they are in a moment where they feel like that's as good as it's going to get for them, what would what piece of advice would you give to them to really, you know, again, this is a king size life. And how what advice would you give to them to go out and get off the sidelines of life and to really make the most of their life? One, um, 100% never settle for a mediocrity. I feel like a lot of us settle and we do the things that we feel that is considered normal or just the normal routine that, like for an example, you, you go to high school, you graduate, you go to college, get your degree and you go to corporate America. You can do big things. Don't settle for a life just because somebody else thinks that what that's what it's supposed to look like or that you're doing something you shouldn't be doing because it's not what the normal is, get uncomfortable. Get so uncomfortable to where you want to maybe even throw up <laughs> because that is when you're going to just drastically change your life and your outcome. Um, we get one life and I cannot stress this enough. We have one life. We have one opportunity to live how we want to live. We're not going to get a second chance. It's, I mean, none of us are. We're not made to be here forever. So we need to have an impact and we need to do the, do the dang thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do the dang thing and give it everything you've got and don't settle for anything less than what you feel you deserve. Oh my gosh. I feel that all in my soul. Like everything you just said, and it just makes like, me keep oh, going. You know how many times I've been like wanting to, wanting to hold myself back and I'm like, oh my gosh, well, when am I going to do it? If I don't do it now, mm -hmm. when, because I'm 40 and it's just creeping. <laughs> so it's yeah. crazy too. You know, we, people get so hung up in what other people think of them. And especially now in the time that we live in, you know, people are just constantly thinking that their worth is based on number of likes or followers or, or whatever it is. And we get so hung up in that, that if you were to take a visual, like just take a, a pen, 
I'm holding up a pen in front of me. If you take a pen and just like the tip of that pen is our life here on earth and the rest of the pen is eternity. And it's such a small part of, of the big picture, but we let other people stop us from making the most of this tiny, tiny amount of time that we have in life. And it's something that I try to remind myself all the time, you know, it, even though, yes, I mean, I'm human. I, I do care about, I'd like to say I don't give any Fs. And when people say that, I think they're full of crap. I think we all actually do care a little bit about what other people think. And so I even let it hold me back sometimes, but it's people, again, why I'm so attracted to people like you and Aaron and the list goes on and on of people um, that I surround myself with. When I see somebody out there that just crushes it, I, I want to be next to you. I want to run with you because I, there's so much more that I believe I have to give. And it gives me that extra confidence to know that if somebody else is doing it, I can do it too. Yeah. It just gets me like excited. Energy. Just, yes. And do it scared. I mean, I know that you and I have gone back and forth in conversations where you're like, I'm seriously going to vomit, Shannon. I'm, my book is about to go live and I'm freaking out and I'm panicked. And But you do it scared anyway. Fear is a natural thing. We all have it. But the difference in you, Sadie, is you don't let it stop you and you push through. And like you said, you get you get uncomfortable, but that's where the growth is. I mean, just in the two years that I've known you, it's been pretty incredible to watch you just continue to grow in your confidence and your, I'm going to do the dang thing attitude. And, you know, I mean, you've, to me, you've always been a no excuses person, but you've just gotten laser focused and also paying it forward. You have such a kind heart and you truly care about people, which makes me think, you know, if there's something that you feel like is a misconception about Sadie, what would that be? And what do you want people to really know about you? Well, I mean, honestly, I think a misconception is thinking that um, I don't struggle. Like a lot of people think that I have this unlimited amount of motivation just because I share my workouts. I share my enthusiasm and excitement about doing big things. I want people to know that I'm as scared as the next person, that I, that I fail all the time, that I don't wake up and want to work out every single day. Yeah, I'm scared. I'm scared of what people are going to think about my book or, or the criticism. But I also told myself that you know, when you do big things, you, you get critics, you get haters. And that's just a sign that you're doing big things and remember that. But yeah, mainly just that I'm human and that I fail every single day and I don't let it stop me. Yeah. I think people think that things come easy and everything mm -hmm. happened quickly and they just don't, don't realize. And the years of struggle. <laughs> yeah. And you listening out there, you're not alone. You're not alone. You can do it too. The stories that we could share and the adversity that we've overcome you are not alone. And I think that's really important for you to realize you're not alone and you can go out and accomplish big things in your life. So I can't thank you enough, Sadie, for being on here and sharing. And again, you guys, please go out and check out her book, Anything is Possible. Look for the upcoming podcast, Anything is Possible. I know I will be tuning in and I just couldn't imagine doing this podcast without you on here. It's, we both knew it was going to happen. It's like Sadie's going to be on my podcast. But just to wrap it up the way that we always do is please stop living your life on the sidelines. You can overcome adversity. Life is going to throw you obstacles. That is a given. But we get one life, just as Sadie said, you get one life. You've got to live it. So I pray that you live a king size life. 
You've been listening to a King Size Life podcast with Shannon King. You can follow Shannon on Facebook and Instagram. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. We really appreciate that effort. Be sure to join us next time for another encouraging podcast with Shannon King. Thanks so much for listening.